singing God's praises. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. That's where we are this morning. You know, earlier I had posted uh, on our Facebook page uh, just some thoughts in regards to this morning's message and the things that will be covered. Uh, Just words, uh, people. um, You know, I was thinking of uh, James, the first martyr. Peter is going to be imprisoned for his faith. Uh, We see a a politician drunk on power. Uh, We see a a people who are uh, true haters of God's people, as well as a, um, a group of people who, although they're praying fervently for the release of Peter, they don't believe when he's released from from uh, from prison, and we'll see how he's released. So, so many things that we have in this chapter. The title of this morning's message is "Nothing Can Stop God's Plans." I think that's that's fitting. That as we go through this, that we are reminded that in light of everything that's happening, and we see it all around us, we are living in exciting times. That is, we are living in exciting times as far as the church is concerned, as far as believers in Jesus Christ are concerned, we should be excited. We should actually have our eyes fixed on Christ and know that his return for the church is imminent. The, the, the rapture of the church will take place at any given moment. And so we need to be ready for that. I was thinking also as I get up normally very early in the morning, especially on Sundays, and it's still dark. How is it, you know, at, at night when you're inside your home, How is it that you can see outside better? Is it when the lights inside are on or off? Anyone know? Off. So if you hear a noise outside, don't turn on all your lights inside. Turn them on outside. Keep it dark inside. Because when it's darkest inside, you can see more clearly outside. It's getting dark here. But I pray that we don't look at what is happening in the world and be filled with fear. My hope for each one of you is that you would look beyond our present circumstances, able to discern the times in which we're living, the signs, and know that Jesus is coming soon. And keep your eyes fixed on eternity, because that's where our hope is. You know, to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? We truly believe that. Then we know that for the Christian, it's a win-win. There's always hope in Christ. So keep that in mind. And nothing's going to thwart God's plans. Nothing, no one, nothing can stop God's plans. In a day in which evil is good and good is evil, we may wonder if God is even in control. I hear that often. Where is God? Is God even on the throne? Is he in control? I've heard it asked, if God is on the throne, then why do bad things happen to good people? Right? It's a great question. But that's assuming a lot. That's assuming that we're actually good people. I understand that The people that are referred to in that question are those who are not outwardly, habitually practicing perhaps crimes such as murder or theft, and perhaps otherwise leading peaceful lives uh, that benefit both society and the family. But we know, according to the Word of God, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Even the rich young ruler as he came to Jesus and he asked, how is it that I may obtain eternal life? And he says, well, you know, you got to keep the law. And he says, I've kept them all from my youth. And I'm paraphrasing. And he says, well, because he knew his heart. He said, well, sell everything and come follow me. And he went away sorrowful because he was very rich and he had many possessions. You see, Jesus knew that his possessions and perhaps his prestige and his position in life mattered more than salvation in Jesus Christ. And that was the very thing that he held above God. It's called idolatry. You see, God knows our hearts. And even though outwardly we can look 
so good to those around us. God knows our hearts and he says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when we take inventory, we realize that. We are wretched and we are in need of a savior. You see, sin is not graded on a curve. You know, it's not, well, I'm, I'm better. I'm better. I'm better than Daniel. You know, I pray more and I read the, the word of God more and, and so on and so forth. You know, that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. In fact, James 2.10 says this, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for it all. For all of it. Sinned in one part. God is good. And he initiated a plan from the very beginning of time, a plan, the plan of salvation, because he knew that mankind would never be able to save itself. God sent messengers called prophets to forewarn the people and foretell the coming of the Messiah, save the Savior, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world by his atoning blood on the cross at Calvary. In fact, the parable of the wicked tenants in Luke chapter 20, verses 9 through 18, is a picture that God gives us of the idea of, uh, in, in the very reality, how it is that he sent pro- prophets who were being rejected by Israel and even killed and mocked and ridiculed. And finally killing the Son of God when He sent Him. And we see the picture of that. And Jesus was giving this parable. Jesus is telling in this parable, concluding it by saying, But He looked directly at them, that is, the priests and the scribes, and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And what I'm saying with all of this is that God knows the beginning and the end and everything in between. He is still on the throne is what I'm trying to tell you. He is still on the throne, and nothing can stop him or his plans from coming about. That's the very thing that he said He over and over. He sent prophets, he sent messengers for forewarning them and foretelling them of who was to come, who was the Savior of the world. And we know that Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. We, we may think that the church is in trouble, but the church has never been in trouble. The true church has always been strong, not because of ourselves, no. It's because of the one who made that statement. His word, his spirit, his power, his sovereignty. You see, it'll all work out. I've come to deliver good news. It'll all work out. It really will. And we know how it ends. Even if we see evil happening in the world, as we're going to see even in the time of the early church, Even if we see evil happening in the world, we were told by God that it will happen this way and we're not to be alarmed. You guys alarmed? You guys worried? You guys anxious? Don't be. Live with an expectation that Jesus will return at any given time. John 16, 33 says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I'm taking some time with this because today we live in a world where good is evil and evil is good. There is no sense. People have lost their minds. But God is still on the throne. And he's given us his son, Jesus Christ, in whom we can know peace by his saving grace as we put our trust in him and believe in him. This morning, you see, we'll see the death of a Christian by the name of James. He will be the first apostle martyred and the imprisonment of Peter. Oh, things are going well so far, right? No, not at all. By all outward appearances, this is horrible. This is the church. This is what we learn from, though, right here. But here we sit in this building as Christians, 
as followers of Jesus Christ and serve as proof that God's plan of salvation, known only through and in Jesus Christ, was not stopped by anything any person has attempted to do to stop it from its spreading. Because nothing can stop God's plans. And with God, all things are possible. This should be encouraging. As we consider God's promises found in his word, you can trust it completely and in every way. Nothing can stop God's plans. Three things we'll kind of just look into this morning is, number one, trouble. there's trouble for the saints. Number two, uh, Peter specifically was delivered for a purpose, but we can see ourselves in that as well and the other saints. And number three, the gospel continues. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. We ask for your blessing, your anointed anointing. Give us understanding. And, Lord, with ears open, with hearts that are ready to receive your word, I pray, Father, that you would speak to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, number one, there's trouble for the saints as we take a look at uh, Acts chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, About that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So the, the saints are in trouble. Like I said, if we consider the early church and, and we think, wow, you know, uh, I wish I could go back to that time. And no, you don't. You, you do not want to be living during that time. I am so thankful that, that the Lord has placed me here. There's other troubles that await us. There are other temptations, other distractions that we have all around us. But it's nothing like this. That's why the church truly needs to, as we saw, be in anguish, brokenhearted. Because God is near the brokenhearted. There's nothing that happens until we are broken before the Lord. So many other things just have our attention. We're distracted. We're consumed with with our lives here. And we know, according to God's word, if we find our lives here, we will lose them. But if we lose them here, surrendering them to Christ, we will find them in Christ eternally. We are clinging too tightly to this life. Remember, we are sojourners. We are pilgrims. Let us be good stewards of what we've been entrusted with and yet keep our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, the one who has forgiven us of all of our sins. There's trouble for the saints. Some people, as we saw here with Herod, King Herod, are drunk on power and prestige and popularity. And they'll get anything to get more power, more popularity, greater position in the world. Herod was such a man. This Herod was also known as Herod Agrippa I. He was the grandson of Herod the Great who ruled during the birth of Jesus Christ. And he was the nephew of Herod Antipas who played a role in the trial of Jesus. Now, Herod was a man who, you could say, survived and thrived on power and popularity. You know of anyone like that today? Multiple people, I'm sure. This man saw that the Christians were greatly disliked. The early Christians, the followers, the people of the way, the ones who followed Jesus Christ. He, he realized that they were, they were hated greatly by so many, especially the Jewish leaders. And so, of course, as they're, as they're seeing this, they're thinking, man, the Jewish leaders who have great influence over the people hate these Christians. And we'll do a little test here. We'll go ahead and arrest James. And have them put to death, and we'll see how they respond. 
So they took James. They beheaded him. And they all just sung his praises. They were all overjoyed. They were so glad that Herod had taken James and put him to death. So seeing the killing of James was pleasing to the Jews, Herod had Peter in prison. Hey, we're on a roll here. We got James, and now, hey, let's, let's get Peter. He seems like a pretty influential man within the church here. And so let's get him. I'm sure if James pleased him, Peter would definitely please, please him. And so he had Peter in prison and was planning on doing whatever it is that the Jews wanted him to do to him, to Peter, after the Passover. Sometimes with this, um, I, well, I can't call it preaching, but these, these um, um, motivational talks is the best way I can describe it. Of taking the Bible out of context, um, what you would know as the prosperity gospel, health and wealth. You know, if you have enough faith, you'll... Uh, you know, you'll have a big home and everything you want, cars, good health and everything. That's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, the Bible teaches that God heals us through his son, Jesus Christ. Our healing is having the hope of eternally being with him. Our, our, our healing is the healing of the condemnation of sin. That's what that is. Because you would think that Jesus would protect his people from any physical harm, Right? Especially imprisonment and definitely death. Right? That's not the case. Listen, the most important thing that you could come to choose in this life is Jesus. To come to the place to where you realized you've sinned against God. It's If you think you have another day... If you're young here and you think you have another 10 years and then uh, I'll surrender my life to Jesus. I don't want to be a religious nut. You're sadly mistaken. Tomorrow's not promised to us. My only regret is that I didn't come to the Lord sooner. My sister, she is a born-again believer in she surrendered her life to the Lord, and I was, and I tell the story, I was maybe 15, 16, and, uh, and I remember uh, people coming to the door uh, to take her either to church or on a mission trip. She would go to Mexico, and, and I remember those moments to where, I, to my shame, I, I mocked them. My only regret is not coming to the Lord sooner. Because had I, had I breathed my last here, which there were many, uh, there were many times God spared my life. Many times when I I should have been done here on earth, um, God spared me and, and it, was, it wasn't until later on, I was 22 years old, when I came to the Lord. The greatest th- thing that you can do is surrender your life to Jesus Christ. It's the greatest thing. No, Jesus does not promise protection against physical harm, health, none of that. But he does promise salvation. That if you believe in him... That he is the son of God who died for your sins, who was buried three days later, rose from the grave. And ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the father. It says you shall be saved. You see, Jesus prepared them for persecution. As we should be prepared for persecution ourselves. Trials. What do you do when trials hit? When, do they really shake you? They, they should shake you to where you see what's before you, what's revealed, and then you confess those things to the Lord, and then you continue to move forward, being strengthened in Him, purified. He prepared them for what was to come. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, <clears throat> it says, Behold, 
I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Hardly sounds like the perfect life, right? Is in the, the eyes of the world. What are you going through? And how is it shaking your faith? Or is it? It shouldn't. These, these are the things that Jesus prepares us for. In, in fact... In Matthew, the same chapter, but beginning in verse 26, as we continue, it says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear, whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who cannot, can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not fear. Be courageous. Once you stand for Christ, remain standing for Christ. I know the young and old alike, you have much peer pressure the moment you say that you have been saved by Jesus Christ is the moment people will come against you. Don't fold. Continue to stand and live for the glory of the one who has forgiven you and given you eternal life. Our value is not determined by what we have or how we are treated in this life but by the love of God that was demonstrated to us by the Son of God who died on the cross at Calvary for you and me, according to Romans 5.8. James, we know, he was the brother of John. I want to introduce you to the sons of thunder. For James, it was time to go home. It was a home going for him. He was going to be with Christ for all eternity. To the very glory of God. It's interesting how James was the first apostle to be killed. But John, his brother, you know what happened to John? Now, by the way, this was a foretelling for in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 20. Uh, this was an account of James and John. Uh, James and John had a very special mother. Their mother's name was Mary. And Mary had a special request for her two sons. It says in verse 20, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, that is, to Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? Here are my sons, James and John. I want to, you, you know who they are, right, Jesus? And, and she had a question for him. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. These two would learn to cup, you know, to, to drink from the cup of wrath, from the cup of suffering, from the cup of anguish. They would know that. James, his life will be short-lived. He was beheaded for his faith. 
he did drink from the cup of anguish, of persecution. He did drink from that cup, just as Jesus told him. John drank from that cup also. For many attempts were made on his life, and yet it was not his time. Did you know that he was even uh, boiled in, in oil? Can you, can you imagine that type of death? Here, let me dip you in oil to the point to where you die. He suffered greatly, and yet he did not die. They put him, basically, they, they isolated him on the island of Patmos. And that's where he spent his, his, uh, his time writing the, the book of Revelation. That's the, the book that you and I have. The last book in the New Testament. These two were brothers. And, and their mother had done this. And, and they, were, they wanted to call down <clears throat> just fire from heaven. When this Samaritan village had rejected Christ. And they said, well, you know, let's, let's call down some fire from heaven and consume them. And she said, no, no, that's, that's not what we do. Can you imagine if that was the case? The next town that you would go to, they would all repent, right? We don't, we don't want fire, you know, lightning to come down and strike us. So, so that, that's a, that, that would be a false conversion. And so that's not how the Lord does it. He draws us unto himself by his kindness. But here are these two. John, his brother, wasn't able to be killed at the hands of any man until his work was done. And then we have Peter. He was arrested. So now he was in prison. It says here, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, we need to understand something about this prayer. It wasn't just sometimes we gather around in a circle and, and, and we just pray, kind of like we're just, we're just praying. We're just saying a few words and, and asking the Lord, petitioning. We are seeking Him. We're interceding on behalf of others. We are praising Him and, and, and all the above. But sometimes there's not much effort that goes into those prayers. But the word that is used here, is actually a medical term that describes the stretching of a muscle to its limit. In other words, it's an agonizing prayer. A fervent prayer. Have you ever prayed like that? You know, sometimes, you know, I, I hear people say, well, I don't know how to pray. Well, if you've had a dialogue with anyone, if you've had a conversation with anyone, you know how to pray. All it is is a conversation with the Lord. And remember, it should be a dialogue. In other words, you should be laying those petitions, those concerns, those, those burdens, and giving them to the Lord. But then you should still be silent before the Lord and wait to hear from Him. These prayers were agonizing prayers. James 5.16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effective and fervent, it's, it's that, that's that, that, uh, that prayer that is filled with passion, with a broken heart, a humble heart before God, considering the very one that is there. Can you imagine, if you could just for a moment, if we could just imagine in our own hearts, and our own minds, God himself inclining his ear to you. How is it you would speak to him? How, how is it that you would speak to him? How is it that you would plead with him? If you knew that he was truly there listening to you, how would you intercede for someone else? For your children, for a coworker, for family, for your own situations, for wisdom, for discernment. The, ch the church believed in the power of prayer and believed in the God that listens to the pleas and petitions and intercessions of his people. And they sought the Lord on Peter's behalf. No matter who you are, you will deal with difficulties if you're not dealing with them now. 
But rest assured that we as Christians have overcome these things in Christ. And in the long run, we ought to always look beyond the darkness of our present circumstances to the hope that we have in Christ. The hope in Christ always looks brighter when we look beyond the darkness of our present circumstances. So there was trouble for the saints. But then we see here how it was that Peter was delivered for a purpose. Verse 6, as we continue, it says, Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. So, to say the least, Peter was heavily guarded. I mean, a normal prisoner would be shackled to one guard. And of course, he would be in a locked cell and there would be guards at the doors. That that was normal. But apparently, this was a prisoner of high value. Of high value to Herod. He wanted to make sure that Peter did not get away. If he tried to escape, there's no way. Two prisoners, you can imagine, one shackled on, to him on one side and the other one shackled to him on the other side. Chains and shackles. There was, there was no way he was going anywhere. Well, at the door, he had one guard. And on the, at the next door, he had another guard. It says here that he had four squads of soldiers assigned to him. Each squad normally had about four to ten soldiers that made them up. So we can see by the way this is described that the number of men that made up these squads were four. So four times four, 16. Can you imagine 16 men are assigned to Peter to make sure that he doesn't get away? Perhaps they, they were on a rotation with shifts. They, they, they didn't want to get him too tired, so they went in eight-hour shifts, you could say. Well, he was heavily guarded, and Peter was sleeping between two guards, shackled. When he was woken by an angel of the Lord, spoken to, let out as the chains fell off him, and as soon as Peter was in the clear, the angel disappeared. Initially, Peter thought that he was, he was seeing a vision. But then he realized when he was out in the clear, it was not a vision, but that the Lord had sent his angel to rescue him from all that the Jewish people were expecting. See, Peter, it's interesting. Peter was expecting to just have the wrath of the people come down upon him, especially learning that James had just been beheaded and they were all in, like, they were all excited. Of course, Peter was, was expecting the worst. And yet Peter seemed to be pretty okay. Is very much at peace. It's kind of comical to me. I mean, if we go slowly through this, and you think about the circumstances, you're like, how, 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 Peter, how? How can you be sleeping? But even more than that, I mean, this brother of ours, he took his sandals off, put them off to the side, took off his, his cloak, his jacket, put it off to the side, and the angel had to come. Remember that the light, as we read here, the light shone. It's like when when a bright light, and I I cannot imagine the brightness of that light. When when a bright light comes, I mean, you're like, whoa, it's startling. Not Peter. Peter was still sleeping. He was apparently a a heavy sleeper. But you can be a heavy sleeper when you're at peace. 
Not only that, but the light didn't wake him up. I don't know, the angels spoke to him. But it had to be a combination of the angels speaking to him and the angel, Peter. (laughs) It says here that he struck him. The light, speaking, and then striking. It's like the angel wanted to get Peter's attention. And yet we consider the fact that James had just been killed and that he was awaiting the inevitable is what he thought. Not many people in this situation could sleep. The man or woman who puts their life in Christ has no need to be anxious or worried about anything. Philippians 1.21 says, For me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, is what the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, in verse 7, says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, trash, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And he goes on to say in, in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained or come to know. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How about you? Anything troubling you? I know I've asked that question several times. I cannot ask it enough. Anything troubling you? Anything overwhelming you? Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus said, come to me all, come to me, go to Jesus, nothing else, no one else. Keep this in mind. Where is it that you've sought peace and comfort in times of anxiousness and worry and being overwhelmed? Who have you gone to? Where have you gone? What have you sought out? Because Jesus said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you not know that that's exactly where Peter was? That's why he could take his jacket off, his shoes. Just, I, like Paul, can say, for me to live as Christ and die as gain. I'm truly good in Christ. I'm at peace. Well, when Peter realized that it was all real, he went to his friend John Mark's house. Mary was the name of his mother. Many brothers and sisters in Christ were there. They were all praying for him. This is another comical situation. Interesting how it all came about. Verse 12 says, when he realizes, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Verse 13, and when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them 
with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. So all this took place. Well, again, when, when Peter realized that it, it was real, he went to John Mark's house and many of the brothers and sisters who were praying there for him. He knocked on the door. Everyone was busy praying, though. So they sent Rhoda to go answer the door. And, and she heard the knocking and she heard Peter's voice and she realized it was Peter. And she was so excited that she forgot to open the door. And she ran back inside. It's Peter. It's Peter. He's outside. It's the one that you're praying for right now. He's outside the gate. No, he's there. And they're all saying, you're crazy. But you're praying for his release and his safekeeping. He's outside. No, he's really there. And they're telling her, you're, you're, you're beside yourself. What's, what's wrong with you? You know, this is, it's his angel. That's what it is. It's his angel. That's, that's who's there. And that's who you heard. No, it, it, it's Peter. It's Peter. You need to go out and see for yourself. Imagine Peter. Now, we see from their perspective, but can you imagine Peter at the door? Oh, my gosh. Okay. There they are. They're arguing. Over there praying for my release. Rhoda's telling them. They're telling her she's crazy. It's like, can someone just come to the door? You know, he's just like, come on. Kind of like when my son locks the door. Locks the door. Whenever, if someone comes over and you know we're outside and we're saying goodbye to you, normally we can't go back inside our home for a few minutes because our wonderful son, he, he, he thinks, it, you think it's funny, huh? <laughs> and he locks, locks the door and then he'll peek around the corner and uh, just... See us. He's just testing. You're just testing us, huh? Our patience. But can you imagine? I need to put a key out there. That's what I need to do. <laughs> but can you imagine Peter? Peter is just out there, just listening to this whole thing. But what an amazing miracle. It, it, it's believed that James, the one that Peter referred to was the brother of Jesus. At this point, he was a very significant figure within the church. It's interesting because James, the brother of Jesus, did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. The time that he was living with him. This is my brother. No, you know. But he truly believed after his resurrection. And he became a very prominent figure in the church after that. God delivered Peter from overwhelming circumstances. But then again, if the beating, the mocking, the cross, the grave, the boulder covering the grave, and a Roman guard could not stop Jesus from resurrecting from the grave and come out of the grave and ascend to heaven, then how is it that we can think that a few prison guards and gates can prevent God from delivering Peter to continue, continue uh, to do the will of God? How, how can we believe that those things that we're faced with can stop God from doing what he purposes to do in our lives? Only if we surrender, only if we lay down, only if we quit. Persevere, saint. Persevere, brother and sister. We need to continue to move forward. God can, and He is able, and He desires to do a wonderful work through you. As we consider the life of Peter, he went on to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ and spent time telling people and teaching them the scriptures. In 1 Peter chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 6, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He knew what it meant and what it felt like to be grieved by various trials. 
Verse 7 says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is only to our shame if we have been found faithless. It really is. But oh, it is to the glory of God if when we come to face Him, when we come before Him, that those things, they are tested and found to be true. Oh, your life, oh, your life, my brother, my sister, matters. The things you say, the things you think, the way in which you behave, all things matter. They should be glorifying to the Lord. And if they're genuine in the faith, then they will last for all eternity. Who better than Peter, knowing all of this, to encourage us with those very words. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, it says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter. He was delivered for a purpose. Well... Herod was so angry that the guards had allowed Peter to get away that he ordered them to be put to death. So he examined him. They questioned him, basically, and what happened. He, they, they told him what happened, and, uh, and he put them to death. But the main point to all of this is that God delivered Peter, and it wasn't just so he could enjoy life a little longer, but for the purpose of glorifying God and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ to many other people. It was for that purpose. So... Trouble for the saints, delivered for a purpose, in the gospel continues. Verse 20 says, Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. The gospel continues. Herod, we know he was a tyrant who loved power and the praise of the people, and we see here that he was praised by the people of Tyre and Sidon, who, who were basically, in, in, in simple terms, they were kissing up to him. They were letting him hear everything that he wanted to hear. Oh, just give it to me. Oh, yes. The, the voice of God and not of man. Absolutely. That's, that's me. Remember, he loved the praise of people. And this was blasphemy. He received that praise and did not give God the glory. How many people? I've, I've been... Remember, years ago, I was, I was told this. Do not touch God's praise. Do not touch His praise. Everything that is good, it belongs to Him. And to that, I say, Amen. It, it, it keeps you in that place of knowing it's not anything of you. It's of the Spirit. It's of God. Give Him the glory. Give Him the praise. It's all Him. Well, Herod was believing of all of that. He was judged by God and struck dead. Because Herod did not give God his due glory. Sometimes we we see a situation like this in the Bible and we think, well, I'm, I can think of a few people that <clears throat> perhaps could be judged in this way. But we need to rest assured that God is just and he does not look the other way. That's why he sent his son to die on the cross, to deal with sin. He has judged sin on the cross for all, all who believe and place their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. But to all who reject the son, they reject the grace of the father and will be judged in eternal condemnation. But it says here, but the word of God increased and multiplied. You would think that perhaps persecution, you would think that perhaps COVID, lockdown, um, riots, 
um, just mayhem, difficult times would hinder, if not stop the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let me reassure you, it does not. It will not ever. Ever. The only place it will stop is in your own life. Where are your eyes? Keep them fixed on Jesus Christ. Keep them fixed on Him. The gospel of Jesus Christ will not be silenced or stopped. It cannot, for the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And then from there, and uh, verse 25 says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem uh, when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So they swung by Mary's home, picked up John Mark on their way back from Jerusalem. Remember, they had taken um, you know, the, the, the offering of everyone, taken it to Jerusalem to help them out in times of need. And then they were off to Antioch. And with them, they took John Mark. So this is, we see the continuation of the spread of the gospel. That's Paul and Barnabas. Are you Paul and Barnabas? Are you Peter? Listen, you're here another day for a purpose. Live that purpose out, and it's to the glory of God. So know God's peace in Christ, even in times of trouble. Number two, you have been delivered from sin. Tell others. The gospel, the, pl- the plan of salvation, God's plan of salvation will continue. Be a part of it. Father, we thank you, Lord, once more for your encouraging word. I I pray, Lord, that as we started, even at the beginning of this message, Lord, we saw that video in regards to anguish. Lord, I pray that we would be anguished in our hearts over the sin that we have in our own lives. Lord, confessing those things and asking for your forgiveness. Lord, help us also to be steadfast in living lives that bring you glory. And I pray if anyone is here that does not know you, has not surrendered their lives to you as as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. For your word tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. I pray, Father, for anyone here that does not know Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through you, that today would be the day of salvation. There would be a complete surrender to you. Oh, Lord, and the burden of sin would be completely lifted off their shoulders. And they would know that peace that surpasses all understanding as they know your grace. And I pray for the church that you would purify and strengthen us. And that we would be mindful of the fact that you have us here for another day. There's a purpose. There's a plan. There's a reason why we're here. To rejoice in you and tell others about the salvation that we have come to know. Thank you, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name.